Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Chatting on Bell Street, your window into the world of commercial real estate. I'm your host, Tony Miranda. With me as always, CEO of Bell Street Commercial, Mr. Brian Bell. How are we doing today, Brian? Fantastic. Thanks for asking, Tony. You enjoying this weather out here? Yeah, absolutely. No, it's been great. My wife got out and actually went Nordic skiing yesterday. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, at a little park right down the street. So yeah, we're pumped. We're excited for the winter weather. It's either you hate it or you love it. I know, right? <laughs> I know. For those that don't know, we just had our first snow out here in the uh, spooky, uh, snowy, spooky season out here in Denver, Colorado. So uh, it's coming for you. So um, without further ado, let's get into the show um, each and every week, bringing you that up to minute insight on commercial real estate space. Now, let's get right into it. Our first segment, we're diving to a topic that's causing quite a stir. We briefly talked about this uh, in our previous podcast podcast and if you haven't checked those out go to spotify youtube and apple Podcasts, where we're talking about the conversion of office space into affordable housing uh, more specifically a new white house initiative uh, was just announced friday october 27th brian this new initiative is a hot topic uh, this new program allocates 45 billion billion with a b dollars in federal funds for developers uh for property conversions not only could this ease some of the struggles we're seeing in the office sector, but it also could address the rising uh, cost of housing. Uh, Brian, what's your take on this? You know, I, I've been to a lot of conferences where they're like, that's the new trend in most mar major markets. All right, converting office into multifamily. Um, the thing is, it's so expensive to do these retrofits. And I've seen so many people model it out. And the problem is the, the price basis that they have to get to to acquire these assets are typically um, so low for them to be you know cost effective. So I'm glad the government kind of stepped in and said, like, all right, to play that liaison or that buffer between what these sellers are expecting and also what you know is going to take it where it could be a profitable you know, uh, you know, venture or project for these developers. You know, I, I still, you know, I think because, you know, you have to think about the systems, you have to think about plumbing, you have to think about everything, taking an old office building and trying to make that conversion. Do you think that $45 billion price tag will be enough to do this project? Um, you know, one thing I do like about the article and reading about it is they're really trying to push it for major metro areas around heavy transit uh, focused markets. And I think that, you know, that number is probably around probably where it should be for a lot of like metro areas where they probably need that additional because uh, those are where the class A office buildings were or they're maybe their B or C towers and they're dated and, and they need that revitalization. I think that's probably fair. What I really like is, you know, my mom worked for the state. She worked for the government. And one thing is I know they have, they, they mentioned they have 1500 buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that the government owns. And I think a lot of them are dated. They've never been really been renovated. So like taking even just cherry picking some of the government buildings that are maybe ideal, ideally ready to be repurposed and, uh, you know, work for housing that that might be ideal. That'd be perfect. 
and a lot of this is coming from the White House and the General Service Administration. And like you mentioned, it was more or less focused on the government surplus buildings. With that in play, how do you think that's going to what implications do you think that has on the wider commercial real estate space? You know, I think the, the biggest thing I, I see really affecting this is it's going to probably they're going to have their hand in. If, if you're taking these funds from the government, you know, there's going to have to be some sort of affordability uh, programs uh, attached to it. There's going to be some strings attached to it. And so it really the big question is, is the developers have to be pretty open-minded to be able to you know, apply and accept these programs and really work with them. And, uh, you know, cause they're, they're going to have people overlooking these, these, uh, these deals. I mean, I think that's something you got to kind of think about in this, in this, uh, if you do decide to take some of this, uh, you know, cause they're even calling it low cost loans available through transportation and funding, housing funding. Now, you know, I, I, I don't know. It always comes with a catch 22. I think, I think it's going to be like, uh, I think it's going to help out, but I don't know. I think in the long run it, you know, I think it's, you know, I mean, really this is going to be a four or five year program. We're not going to really see the, the, the additional inventory of housing for another four or five years. And you, you touched, you touched on kind of, there's going to be a catch 22 for, and I think, uh, the White House uh, official statement briefly mentioned that part of this is going to require that there's lower emissions with these builds. You think that's going to add to the cost as well in, in terms of that $45 billion price tag? Um, you know, I mean, the structure is there, but the lower emissions, I mean, every city is going to be different. Mm -hmm. uh, like if you're building in Denver or building in San Fran or building in a more of a, a blue state, you know, major metro area. A lot of them already have those already, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of them, I mean, you're going to have to already make sure you're meeting the environmental standards and uh, building codes. And so it might be a little bit more expensive in some of those markets uh, versus building in some other um, more like uh, conservative states. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the initiative offers new housing, uh, new federal funding and technical assistance. How could this change the game for both developers and advisors, commercial advisors? What do you mean by technical assistance? Uh, uh, the, it goes kind of into uh, uh, briefly, uh, I think it has a lot to do with uh, the structure of the loans and uh, a lot of the zero emissions stuff that comes with that. Yeah. And that's very expensive. You know, one thing I, I really don't, I, I really, what I'm worried about is like, just to play devil's advocate here on this case. Really, if we think about all the people coming back to the office right now, I mean, like for example, all these AI companies, San Francisco, um, I think it was chat GBT, um, or, uh, like they just leased one of, they just did the largest lease since, uh, 2018 mm -hmm. in, in San Francisco. And they just took a large footprint. And a lot of these other AI companies are going in and doing the same thing in other markets. And a lot of these other tech companies are, are, are going back to the office or I'm seeing even companies right now, like they're like saying, okay, this, this didn't work. This was a big error because we don't have the systems in place. Like we talked about a few weeks ago and people were moving back to the office of mm -hmm. foot, footprint. But now one thing I, I see happening, if I was an office developer, and I would be, I would be hypersensitive on it. And I would be looking at these markets where this program was really deployed and these office buildings were taken to be changed to multifamily. I would look at it and be like, all right, well now there's a shortage of office inventory and everyone's coming back and look at that trend over the next two years. And maybe there's an opportunity to build a cool 
office building structure at that point. And, and if anything, at least it gets rid of the old inventory and brings in new for the office product. What are some strategies that, uh, well, all right. So you as being the CEO, you're in charge of, uh, brokers here in this Denver market in this Atlanta market. What are some strategies you would suggest to, to your advisors to take advantage of this? You know, we really don't have any, um, you know, like, uh, land brokers, but you know, we do have a lot of guys that focus on office assets, uh, inner city and also suburban office product. A lot of the stuff we sell is suburban office product. So it doesn't really sit in these high transit markets. Mm -hmm. But if there was, you know, the, the great part about this is it, you know, if, if we did have a asset or two or a shelf, a building or two that made sense for this funding, you know, and also, I mean, what's the play here? Does the building need to be 50% lease? You know, or does it need to be completely empty for you to be able to, uh, you know, apply for this? There's so many things that we need to really look further into, but I think there's been some big buildings downtown Atlanta that I worked on in the past that we just couldn't pencil and nobody can really get in there and get creative with it because there weren't programs like this. Mm hmm. And I can think it was probably one of my biggest failures as a broker. I put all my eggs in one basket with this one, uh, you know, building in downtown Atlanta and I focused on it and it was empty. It, it had a flood that happened to it and it would probably be a great building for this program. And I think it's still empty to this day. <laughs> and I, and I brought the guy like eight offers, but it couldn't pencil from where he needed to be where a program like this could maybe play that, that buffer between the buyer and the seller where it can make sense for both parties. So I might, I may even tell my team to even reach out to that building owner, even a few of the other structures in the downtown Atlanta market. Um, but no, I think there's definitely some room here. I, I think, I think really, you know, it's almost like when the OZ funding happened, there's brokers that really focused only on those OZ markets and they would list properties only in those markets. And, and really what I saw when that happened was there was like a huge hyper focus of buyers in those like OZ zones. And mm -hmm. so the property prices actually went up like 20, 30%. Oh, wow. Over, over, you know, another market that maybe wasn't in an OZ. Well, if you list something to OZ, you saw that the days on market decreased probably by 30, 40 days, which was really impressive. But it was a program that was scheduled on a 10 year OZ uh, program. And I think we're probably going to see that here too. We're going to see a lot of empty buildings, a lot of stagnant buildings right now around the country that can look at this program and be like, Ooh, I'm going to take advantage of this. I'm going to go renovate this. Um, you know, and I, and I hope, I hope that's the case. I hope we really see some new workforce housing. I hope it's not like, you know, I, I don't, hopefully it's not like luxury housing, right? You know, hopefully it's, you know, for middle market, like upper lower class and middle class housing that's really needed in a lot of these metro areas that can provide additional workforce for these uh, highly, you know, um, I guess, um, highly expensive markets. Right. Yeah. And, and it seems the focus is more or less on that affordable housing aspect mm -hmm. that they want to convert all these empty spaces into that. But um, back to the greenhouse gas emissions, the White House aims to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions by 30% through this initiative. Uh, on top of their uh, trying to create more affordable housing, there is that environmental piece to it. How should commercial real estate developers adapt to their strategies to align with that environmental focus? You know, I think that's just a, uh, you know, I think that's a, just a political push on this. You know? Right. At the end of the day, I think that's really just a political push. And also, it also says, hey, look, 
but some markets are going to be hyper focused on that. Like there's even industrial buildings being built in Denver that they were going to be built and then they just couldn't pencil anymore after interest rates went up due to the cost constraints of the, you know, of the environmental, uh, you know, uh, hoops you have to jump. Right. Through. Yeah. Right. So that's especially, uh, Big in Denver, Den yeah. uh, the Colorado yeah. area. So it really depends on the market. The thing is, our air is thin. I mean, if there's a fire in Utah or California, we see it. Yeah. And yeah. So it's important that we really are conscious about that. If anything, maybe everyone drives an electric vehicle, you know? So, <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think this is great. I'm excited to see what really comes down the hopper on it. I'm probably going to like uh, talk to my guys and have them probably reach out to a few assets we know in a, the Atlanta market, see if we can help out. Kind of, you know, if anything, maybe even have some developers fill out the application for the first few. Right. Good to go. Yeah. Now, I'm glad you brought up the developers. In, in terms of initiatives like this, do you feel that this will be more lopsided to where the more major developers are going to have access to this than more or less your up and coming developers? You know, really, I think it just depends on people that are in the know and that are educated and they can pencil this. I mean, the thing is to be in commercial real estate, you got to be sharp anyway. So, right. I mean, it's, it's, you didn't get, you didn't get in the commercial real estate, you know, you didn't just fall into it. Normally people that work in our space are really sharp all the way throughout the whole industry, whichever product type they work in. So I think as long as they educate themselves on where the advantages can be taken within a market, because there's probably even even some state level benefits to it too. Okay, that they're not even penciling in as well. Okay, well, um, as we uh, as we look to the future, and we briefly kind of talked about this in previous podcasts, um, are there any up and coming policies or trends related to government involvement that maybe our listeners should be aware of in the, in the near future? Here, not anything that. You know, I think there's a lot of push right now for, I would say, low-income housing. And um, one thing I've been seeing, even in Atlanta, is the tiny home movement or, like, mobile home uh, lot placement or mm -hmm. them converting hotels into affordable work for, workforce housing. I'm seeing smaller markets where there's, like, government practices where they're doing shifts like that. but and, Or really even on a county level. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that was a great first segment. This is a very interesting story um, for a deeper dive uh, into this White House initiative. We highly recommend uh, the full article on Morningstar's website and the White House's official website, which goes into a little bit more detail. Um, now on to our next segment where we explore uh, something that's uh, often overlooked in the uh, world of commercial real estate, and that's attention to detail. Uh, we'll dissect some key takeaways from our, re from our recent blog post on uh, bellstreet.com forward slash blogs. Go ahead and check that out if you haven't already. It'll be up later today, uh, which involves a comprehensive dive on this subject. Brian, the blog makes a compelling case that attention to detail can make or break a commercial real estate deal. Given the competitive nature of the industry, how important is meticulousness for achieving long-term success? You know, I, I preached this to my brokers. I mean, I was a, I'm a recovering accountant. So like I worked in a, a accounting for a long time. And I remember when I started, I would, I would, I thought, you know, when you get out of school with an accounting degree, you think, you know, it all <laughs> and, and, or, or I guess whatever degree you get, but like really in accounting, you know, they, they really teach you the language of business and you go work at an accounting firm or you go work in industry and you do this complex, uh, you know, model or report for your boss. And then he, he marks it up and hands it back to you. And he does that to, to you for like six times. 
then you realize like, all right, maybe my attention to detail is not where it should be. And, and I think that's where I really learned my attention to detail. I think in, in, in this industry, it should be the so, same thing, but really about the OM. If you're putting product out there, if you're trying to advertise something to an investor and there's one error in the presentation material, then why should I trust anything else? Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I really hone that in with our guys, making sure that we go through like a review process because I can't stress it enough because once I, I see one thing that's incorrect, then I can start doubting everything else and then right. it loses the, the viability of the deal. And then, you know, and then if I'm looking at, cause normally you got to look at a lot of deals before you acquire one, if you're looking at it from an investment basis. So like if it, if it does, if this deal doesn't make sense, I'll be like, all right, well, and I've, I've went behind brokers where I'm the a new agent that comes in and I look at the prior agents work and I look at the price they had on it and the, the price was correct, but it was the delivery of their information. Tony, that like that wasn't correct. And then because it wasn't telling a story that reflected the true investment potential of the property or it wasn't reflecting the historical income data. So like so going back to, you know, I think I think it's, it's super important to like it's not even about the price. It's about can you paint the picture of where the property's been and where it could go? And, and I think that is like an art within itself, within the brokerage community. And I think like, if you don't have the right mentorship in that space, then it is, then it's hard to sell real estate. Let's flesh that out a little bit more. Yeah, um, let's, uh, how do you feel, uh, how, how can a minor oversight escalate into significant problems down the line? You know, I mean, really, I mean, of course, all of them have like disclaimers saying, Hey, look, we're not liable for this information. This was given to us by a seller or like a, a land or like a property manager and whatnot. So like, really, we're just basing it off the information we have to the best of our knowledge. You need to, uh, you know, do your own stress test uh, on the, on the packages. Um, you know, but I, I think one way that we can really improve this is just by working, you know, have like a checklist and 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 work with your team and kind of say all right does it you know does it can it survive the stress test good point uh the blog goes on to identify critical areas where attention to detail matters the most contract negotiations financial analysis uh, property inspections uh, including customer relationships let's dive deeper into that um, into contract negotiations first how does Bell Street ensure that every I is dotted and every T is crossed? You know, I, I really think it's important for, you know, I think we want to get deals under contract so fast. Right, Tony? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. do. And, and where we'll put something in front of our clients and say, hell yeah, this is just a LOI or at least negotiation to have them sign it. Right. But really at the end of the day, we need to take a step back and review what, what, what's been given to us mm-hmm. and really understand like, all right, is this binding? Is it non-binding? Is this uh, realistic for our client and be able to, you know, think before we and think before we react. Let, let's and, flesh that. And I'm glad you did mention that. Uh, what are, what do you feel are some uh, rigorous review processes that uh, you can do for more con- uh, more scrutinous contracts, uh, you know, re- contract review? You know, I think one thing is really making sure that, you know, if, if I'm receiving something, then I want to kind of see like, all right, how close is it to where we want to be? And then I try to figure out like what kind of variance do we have between 
but I know what our client wants and what the buyer wants uh, or the buyer's agent wants. And then, you know, we sit down. Now, whenever we're looking at everything, we need to make sure everything is clear. There's a lot of moving parts in commercial real estate because, you know, I've helped brokers with office, retail, self-storage and, and, you know, restaurant sales and like everything, every product type is like its own business model. Mm -hmm. So like, for example, right now we're selling a restaurant and within that restaurant, there's assets, there's equipment, there's hoods, there's, you know, refrigeration, there's offsite refrigeration, there's, uh, you know, cost of goods sold that may stay with the property. Mm -hmm. And so like all that needs to be really specified in the PSA. If it doesn't, then there could be some, I've seen some people like, oh yeah, we'll take everything. I'm like, well, what is the term everything? Right. Everything in the kitchen sink or everything <laughs> with, the, with the you know utensils. So I think, I know it's redundancy, but like really making sure that that list, cause you don't want to get halfway through the deal and then the seller's like, well, I'm going to take that. That really meant a lot to me. And whenever you have it kind of spelled out, I think that's really, really makes things clear. So legal comprehension and alleviates those nuances that we kind of run into. And also, you know, one thing I, I really hound on my guys, whenever we're reviewing a contract, once we get um, both, both sides agreed upon, mm -hmm. is making sure everyone knows the, the milestone dates. You know, it's so many times I see buyers overlooking oh i didn't know that you never sent anything out oh man or it's not in the contract and then they're like oh i still have another five days I'm like no your earnest money went hard five <laughs> days ago and and so i i would hate to see that happen and someone misunderstand their own deal that they sign up for and just really making it clear because that's when they feel jaded that's when problems happen and it's really from a lack of communication right and so you know just being able to over communicate to both sides of the party keeps everybody really happy and it keeps your client happy too but we and we and we've kind of discussed back and forth here how um highlighting how examples how a lack of attention to detail can derail a deal what are some real world examples where meticulous attention to detail really averted a setback or a delay you know one time i had someone actually outline a property and they had an old picture and it included some land next to it and so they made the offer thinking that that was included. But really, the owner wanted to keep that piece of land. And so we get to going under contract. And they're like, well, why isn't this other parcel included? And I'm like, well, you know, and this is what the agent, you know, I was uh, just overseeing it. And they're like, oh, okay, you had the old photo on there. And so the buyer, and so then Dylan ended up not working out. But that's something that, you know, I think our content that we're putting out there needs to make sure it's relevant. You can't just send the wrong or the older OM or mm -hmm. older package if there's some, you know, if there, if there's some changes. Well, let's shift our focus to, to the financial analysis. Uh, property evaluating the finances of a property can be complex. You know, the demands of acute focus on the numbers. How does Bell Street equip its clients and its brokers to navigate this field of financial analysis? I think one thing is you have to go off the actuals. You know, what? because I mean, really, you got to look back at the past year. What story was told? You know, being a... Being, being working in accounting, you know, and I'm looking at lots of tax returns or looking at financial reports, that tells us a story about the property. Whether, you know, and also, and then also we need to look at it. I was like, all right, did this guy write off his 
BMW on here? And did he write off a lot of flights to, to, you know, for finding new deals? Or did he did he write off a flight to fly to this property? Or does he live in the same market but then still has some flight bills on there? <laughs> you know, so like, there's a lot of stuff we have to like say. All right, well, obviously he didn't need to fly. He could have drove to his property. It's ten minutes down the road. So like, maybe he went to a conference on office buildings. You know, and we have to like try to figure that out. We'll see what we can remove. That's just fluff expenses versus actual direct expenses associated with the asset. Now, another thing is like whenever we're projecting if we're, if we are adding a pro forma to it, if we're saying, all right, we're going to model this out for what the property is going to be in the next year, then we need to be really sensitive to that and be able to articulate that. But I also like to include the actuals because it really also communicates where the property is. Um, and then what it could be as well. Um, and so I think with that, it needs to also be realistic. I've seen some people that go in there and they put in whatever the nicest property is, their rental income, and then they try to do this whole projection on modeling. And then anyone, and the thing is, in our space, everyone is super smart. And like, you know, you do run across some newbies that come in there and just buy stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, but really a lot of people, they're crunching the numbers. They want a specific return. Or a lot of people that get into commercial real estate, they they either own five to eight rental homes and they're ready to dip their dip their uh, foot into commercial real estate. And, you know, and they're ready. They're ready to make that leap and they're overanalyzing a lot of the stuff that they see. Or they're already a fund and they, they have, they're, they're looking at 10 deals a day. And, you know, and if it doesn't pass the stress test or the, the bullshit test right out the gate, then they're not going to buy it. It's got to make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, you know, I think the, another thing we covered here is, is active listening. And, and that's all, you know, with the client relations, it's so easy for us to misunderstand our clients, um, and actually what the expenses were. And I think this is kind of good. The client, the active listening kind of goes with the, you know, the legal comprehension, the deadline management, the, you know, even the budget oversight, because if we're not able to listen, we can't really get the needed information to be able to give it to the buyer. And we can't make that clear story. And, and one thing I've, one thing I try to press on, you know, with, um, you know, open communication is getting the backstory on the property. Cause when we're able to have all the details on the property and then allows us to be able to sell it better instead of being reactive, we, we get it we show it five times. And we're at that point, we're building our rapport on how we're going to sell. Right. Our job is to sell. I mean, we're, we're brokers, we're advisors. Our job is to paint the vision to a potential buyer on where the value is with this asset for both parties. You right. Know? And also for the seller saying, Hey, look, this is what we're going to be able to do for you and be able to like get people comfortable with that. And, and if you're, if it takes you five attempts, then, then you didn't spend enough time thinking about what you're actually selling. And I, and I think like, that's one thing we try to make clear here at Bell street now, or if you're a broker listening to this is like, do you really understand the property you're selling too? Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm glad we're going to, uh, we're going to use that to segue into uh, property inspections. There are a multitude of elements to consider in terms of property inspections. Can you mm-hmm. talk about how Bell street ensures a thorough inspection process that catches even the most minute details? Um, you know, property inspections are, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it always hire a professional to do the, uh, original inspection. And, you know, this is like the boilerplate, you know, 
I guess like realtor response they want you to know it's like okay always get a professional for that area always make sure oh you have an issue with foundation call a structural engineer which right. I think is really important but you know us as advisors in the space and also if you're listening to this and you're an advisor or an investor you also need to be able to look at a building and say all right well this doesn't look like the other 10 I've sold what's the issue here and have that catch you know you know, and one thing I, I, I can't stand more than anything, and, I, and I've seen this before, you know, even with my guys, and I, you know, and I, I it's one of my pet peeves, go to the property you're selling. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we'll do a deal, and it might be in another market, or it might be even an hour away, but they sell it, and they get their commission check, and, they, and maybe they're great salespeople, they don't need to see the property, but they never actually physically went there, and then like a uh, Six months down the road, the guy's like, well, I can't believe there's a stream running through my property. I never knew that. <laughs> but if you went there, you can kind of pick up on things like that. I'm glad you brought this up because this reminds me of an antidote my wife told me when she was uh, she was on the legal side of residential real estate mm-hmm. back in the day. And back during the housing crisis, uh, they would do drive-by inspections to where they would only just drive by the property. They'd look at the front, check it off on their book, and then they would go to closing and there'd be something totally wrong. There'd be burns all over the backyard because the inspector didn't go there. So I think that kind of falls in line with that. Like, and how important is that attention to detail for that broker to kind of make sure stuff like that doesn't happen from like third parties that totally derail their deal? Yeah. I mean, what a lot of people, you know, when I, this is different types of buyers. I see typically you got the buyer that's focused on the income. They see the property, they're like, great, but their attention to detail is all still, still too busy focused on the numbers. Right. Then you got the person that's like, you know what, I want to see the building. They're not really attached to the numbers. It's about how they, the, the deal makes them feel. We get a lot of those in Colorado. Okay. Oh, this is a cool deal, man. It vibes with me. <laughs> or I was like, you know, I could see the value here. I see the numbers. The numbers look good. Oh, this is, this is a good deal. And but they get out there and they really understand the, the, the property. They're on the roof. They're wanting to look at every little caveat. They're looking at the survey. They're looking at, and I think, like, I, I think spending money before you get into any deal is super important. You know, like my wife and I bought a house up in the mountains. There's a lot of expansive souls here in Colorado. And mm-hmm. like, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna hire a structural engineer just to look at it. Cause like we looked at five other homes Half of them had structural issues. So I just wanted to, you know, it was a $800 fee for me to have a structural engineer just walk around, just look at it. And, and that was on top of the property inspection. So like, but going back to commercial, maybe you need to do that even on your asset, wherever you are, you know, just look at it. If you see things that look like need to be addressed, then address them. Um, Cause sometimes the agent may not catch them. Mm-hmm. But that's stuff that we can bring up you know, a lot of agents, they don't want to, or a lot of people in the space, they don't want to like bring stuff to people's attention because they're worried about their commission. Really, they should be worried about is their client. You need to make sure you're representing your client. And more stuff you bring to them, the more they get comfortable with the deal as well. It's actually counterintuitive. Like the more you get them comfortable with the problems, then the more they're aware when they get after they acquire the deal. I think that's a great segue um, into another part of the blog that mentions customer relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, in your experience, how does that meticulous attention to detail build those strong, lasting relationships with clients? You know, the uh, customer relations is typically 
you know, it all starts with trust. Right. And it, it trust that you know what you're doing, that you're methodical about the process. You're going to educate them on the expectations of what your role is working with them. I think if you do that and you go, you know, over and beyond, I think you'll be fine. You know, now if you're, and I think that's in anything, whether if you're in any industry, I think if, if even I would tell my kids that too, I think it's super important. Like, is to follow through with whatever you tell people you're going to do too. But I think like having that, having that roadmap and everyone's on board with what's going to happen, what that next process is, especially for people that might, might be selling their first commercial real estate mm -hmm. asset. Maybe they operated a restaurant out of it. Right. They need to have a little bit more. They're, 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 they've been operating a restaurant for 20 years. They don't know what real estate transactions should look like. We need to be there to be able to provide a, 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 pretty much be a resource for them if they're not transacting two or three deals a year. And, and if they are transacting two or three deals a year, where can we help them improve their process where maybe they're lacking? And we do that too. Yeah. In, in terms of uh, one of the main points of a commercial advisor's job is market analysis. How does a meticulous attention to detail separate those brokers from the broker that just doesn't pay attention to, you know, trends in the market. You know, there's so many different ways to evaluate a property. And, and I think that really kind of comes down to when you're trying to do a market analysis before are you talking about on the buy side or sell side? Both. Yeah. So like, I think really, you know, of course it's the opinion of value. Everyone has their own opinion on how they want to do this, but looking at, you know, either, you know, if it's a land deal, and it's a pad ready site and it's already been paved. It already has the systems. Then I need to say, all right, what's the raw land value plus whatever that intrinsic value of whatever it costs to prepare the property to that point. Right. You know, or if I'm looking at a retail building and it's multi-tenant retail and we're looking at, uh, um, you know, like a 75% leased up building. Okay. You know, then we have to base, you know, we, we're going to find some other comps of some similar, like maybe if it's C-class and we can compare it to other C-class assets. It's like, it's like I wouldn't compare a zebra to a lion. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why and, not? Or I Why wouldn't, not? Compare, <laughs> wouldn't compare a BMW to a Honda Accord. I'd probably try to compare it with another luxury vehicle, you know, maybe even in the same German family. So like, or just compare it to another BMW. So it, it's really, and we see sometimes, sometimes we'll get into a market where there's not a lot of real estate and you're scratching your head and you're like, all right, how do I evaluate this? I remember one time we were working with Wells Fargo, we were doing a, um, like a distressed asset sell for their corporate office or for their uh, real estate division. And it was a small, small vet center in the middle of nowhere in South Georgia. And the closest thing was a Domino's pizza. Okay. And it was like a mile and a half away. And we were like, okay, well, whenever there's no other office buildings around, let's just look at all the commercial real estate assets and try to come up with a blended price per square foot empty. And, and let's try to back into like, all right, what's the condition of this asset compared to those other ones? And could we see it selling for this? Maybe this building, and this building was on a main road. Maybe it could be converted into retail, but it was a, a vet center before. Right. So like, Sometimes the highest and best use of an asset that we're evaluating may not be the future highest and best use of a deal too. And so we have to really sometimes take our, uh, what is the highest and best use of this property? Maybe it used to be retail or maybe it used to be a vet clinic or office. Maybe now it's retail or kind of like what our, our article is about. 
where now you had a bunch of office buildings that were built back in the 70s or 60s. Mm-hmm. But now those markets need more multifamily. And so the highest and best use is not really office or renovating this office in the nicer office product because a lot of people are working from home right now, which I personally, I feel like everyone's going to go back to the office eventually. Mm-hmm. And we're going to need more office buildings. But what is the highest and best need for that building right now? And that's really what the government's trying to solve too. Right. With the article we talked about. And so really, I mean, I try to teach our guys to think outside of the box like that, depending on the assets. Cause I mean, we're a very scrappy firm. We, we work with a lot of the smaller belt street is we're doing deals with people on the street, on the street, yeah. you know, like smaller, like more like uh, smaller investor types. I mean, we're doing, we're working with some groups that have a lot of assets as well, but a lot of our deals are working for the people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not working for the firm and we're working on properties that maybe have been handed down two or three generations. Maybe they want us to help them backfill some spaces or help them keep up their, um, you know, their value of their asset. Right. With some current tenants. So it really just depends. I mean, we're there and every case is different. So like you're asking me like this, this hard, you're asking me this like uh, never answerable question. (laughs) I'm trying to give you an answer, but I'm just trying to give you an idea. But if you give me a, specific scenario I could probably give you a solution well we're gonna we're gonna try to wrap things up here but um what I want to do is focus more or less on some tips where you as being the CEO of a national boutique firm what are some tips that you can give to our listeners out there be them be their brokers developers you know people in the industry in general what are some tips that we can give them for increasing and being more accurate with their attention to detail you know one thing i try to tell people and this was told to me right when i started if i'm buying something i need to try to talk myself out of it and if i can't talk myself out of it or if i can't find i try to poke holes throughout the whole deal. It's like, where can I find an issue? Is it with the package? At that point, I just throw the deal away. I'm like, okay, the broker doesn't know what they're doing. I'm not getting a clear picture of this. And that's really what happens while we're able to come in and sell other properties. But I try to like stress test the deal so much that like after I go and look at it from a very pessimistic viewpoint, if it's still a viable investment with the return expectations that I set in place when I originally purchased it, then it's a good buy. But but when you're selling a property, you know, everyone thinks the property is gold when they're selling it. So like, it's like, (laughs) how do we spin it where there's value still to be had on that property where we can optimize the exit price for the seller? And, you know, and I always tell sellers, don't ever try to overly improve the property. Leave something, some, leave some problem on the table for somebody to fix. And because then it, it shows like, oh, there's some value add component there. Instead of having, we call it a pig with lipstick on it. When you do everything, you increase the value on every single little piece of the asset and it's, it's turnkey. And maybe there's, there's investors that like that. Mm-hmm. But most smart people are looking for something with a little bit of, okay, maybe maybe half the leases are at market. And maybe the other half they can work on over the next three, five years. Or maybe the parking lot needs to be done and maybe the whole thing needs to be retenanted and everyone needs to be removed and we bring in some new lifestyle tenants in a retail center. Mm-hmm. Or same thing in office product. Maybe we need to take a whole floor and turn it into flex or shared space. Right. And then take all these other five to 10,000 square foot empty spaces in a building and maybe take them down to three because that's what the market's wanting. Mm-hmm. So 
it really depends on the asset, but kind of ex- educating our clients to that degree, I think is really important. But now going into a deal with the mindset that, that you're looking at it from a very pessimistic approach, I can't, I can't stress that enough. And I think if you do that with anything you buy, you're going to buy it right. Because really, you know, they, they, this is another thing they say, you're buying your profit when you buy your building. So if the par- target price isn't where you want it to be, that's where you're, you're, you're buying into your profit right out the gate based on whatever the fair market value is of the asset. Because you, you can't like say, oh, I'm going to overpay on this and expect to make profit later and catch up later. Some markets, that's great on a macro level, but you have to also think like, what if the market gets worse? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, a few, I could talk about this for hours, but that's just a few little nuggets for the, the listeners to kind of think about whenever they're looking at assets or looking at selling or, you know, because I see it so many times, someone tries to go in at that exit and they try to do all this extra stuff and they spend all this extra money on the property, 20, 30,000, maybe even $40,000. And what ends up happening is they have to get that money out of the property and they can't get that money out. And then we're really close to the wire on the negotiations because they, they, their money wasn't, they're not able to get the, the true uh, output from their original investment when the other, the new buyer could have gotten a better deal on repaving or retenanting that deal. So, but anyways, that's, that's, that's uh, nuggets from Brian today. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff, Brian. I do appreciate it. Yeah. Um, attention to detail is definitely a delineator in excelling in the commercial real estate sector. And as always, your expertise is invaluable. And we do appreciate it. Uh, now, for those listening, uh, if you're interested in diving deeper into this topic, we strongly suggest reading our latest blog on bellstreet.com forward slash blog. Also, check out all of our podcasts on everywhere you check your podcasts, more or less Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Music. But uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, to stay informed, uh, make smart decisions, and keep ahead of the curve, keep in contact with Chatting on Bell Street. This is Tony and Brian signing off. Until next time, everyone, have a great week.